Hey there and welcome back to another episode of Over the Bridge Podcast, um, the podcast where we just really just talk about our experiences and how we navigate the world. And in the last few weeks, we've been really lucky to be joined by a whole range of incredible guests and we've got another one with us today who will introduce himself in just a moment. But I thought I'd kick off just by asking you guys, man, how you doing? Yeah, man, all good, all good. It's been quite a a slightly busier week than usual. Um, I've got quite a lot going on at work and then a lot of family obligations given that, yeah, the world's open up again. So, you know, just kind of re, re, um, re-strengthening the connections with the people that I've been completely, <laughs> like, lack of contact <laughs> over the last few months. Um, so, yeah, I had, like, a little family barbecue yesterday, which was nice. And now, yeah, just chilling, man. Just just trying to get the most out of the, the time off for kickoff again next week. Fair. What about you, Tom? Um, yeah, man. All good. Just trying to set up a new flat. Um, so trips to IKEA, you know. IKEA's taken up all of my money. But um, apart from that, it's it's all good, man. It's all good. It's all good. Nice one. Ikea is not a bad place to like blow a couple a couple racks. Yeah, for real, man. For <laughs> I love real. Ikea, man. I love Ikea. You can find everything there. There's a whole so, trip. Bro, it's, the it's food a, is amazing. It's, it's a day man. trip. Trust me, the 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 meatballs and the, they've got um over here in Switzerland they've got a dish like it's like fish and chips but it's like um, really small fish that they catch in the lake. It's called um mm. like filet de perche. It's really nice. It's like it's not as um, heavy as like cod. Even the cod is in that heavy. It's like a really light fish. So I had a bit of that yesterday as well before I did my continued to do my shopping and just I'm doing it room by room. So you know, just bit by bit by bit. But that's about it. Busy work, busy day, uh, week at work. Earnings, earnings has begun. So obviously that's keeping my myself occupied for most of my days. But apart from that, all good, man. Hello, how are, how are you? Me, I'm all right, you know, this week. This week was the first time I went far away in, like, months. And by far away, I literally mean to my own old school, like, which isn't even that far. It's the other side of London, because I'm in West, and so that was in North. And it felt like I was going on an adventure, because honestly, I <laughs> went to London in months and months and months. And getting there, like, it was a good good hour and a half of, like, public transport. And I was like, wow, this is far. Like, I actually felt like I was going somewhere out of the country or something, man. Bro, that sounds like venturing to South London each and every time, even before lockdown. <laughs> sorry, Quake, I'm sorry, but, you know, always get, get your passport as you board on at London Bridge, you know. But it's funny, like, how... I guess that was my life before, just moving around London, but even just that one trip, I was exhausted, and I was like, I can't believe that, you know, that was genuinely just what I'd be doing with my time, and now I'm tired from just getting on small bus and train to get somewhere, you know? But yeah. yeah, I think it's going to take a little while to get used to that again, man. Like even just being in crowded places with just loads of people around is, is still a bit disorientating, I think. And then after some a while, it's going to just get normal again. Yeah. So, so what's 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 the situation in London? Like, can you guys go on public transport, but you have to wear a mask or what's the deal? Yeah, so basically you can, you can get on public transport. Everything's basically running as normal um the same kind of frequency as as usual but yeah you have to have uh, a mask or face covering i should say whenever you get on a public transport i think from about the from about the 15th that's mm. when it, i can't remember yeah i think it was like in june it became um 
I wouldn't say law, but it's yeah, very much encouraged for you to do that and you can get fined if you don't. And then now they're saying you have to have it just to go, I think to get into shops, you have to have it on as well. Yeah, from from next week, I think. that's the Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you can get around and do everything, but it's just you just have to have your face covering nearby, getting on Ubers and stuff like that as well. Man, it's funny how like the new way of starting conversations before it just be, ah, oh, talk about the weather. Now we just talk about COVID restrictions, man. That's like every time I catch up <laughs> with someone, you just start t- start off a conversation by chatting about how you're coping with lockdown. Yeah. It's a whole different world, man. Anyway, anyway, let's get going. Um, Thank you, Leon, for joining us today. I'm really excited to finally get this one going. For those of you that don't know... Months ago, we were trying to get Leon on as a guest, and we're really lucky that he's been able to make the time for us here today. Um, Leon, why don't you introduce yourself to all of our Pleasure to to get to to be invited on, guys. So thank you so much, first of all. Um, uh, Who am I? Um, Sometimes I ask myself that in the morning um, when I wake up because I've I've developed, if you like, a portfolio career, I think they call it. I think that's the posh term for, for doing lots of different stuff. Um, so I act as a sports consultant, working with some athletes and organisations, mainly around communications, marketing, branding. Um, I'm a filmmaker, so I've made a couple of films for the BBC on Usain Bolt. Um, have my own production company um, that's beginning to do some 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 interesting things. So hopefully some good stuff to come there in the future. And I think um, most people will probably know um, of me because of my campaigning work. So I'm the founder of the Black Collective of Media and Sport. Um, a networking group for black people um, and generally a group to push for greater diversity across the sports media. Um, and I'm also the founder of the Football Blacklist. So um, a, um, well, a, a, a an organisation that celebrates the achievements of black people, but for what they do away from the field. So we're not celebrating footballers because they were good at football. What we're doing is we're celebrating all the people who work in football as an encouragement to the next generation of young black people um, to get involved in the game because we have mass underrepresentation of black people outside of the field of play. So um, there's a number of different other things I, I, I do, but in a nutshell, that's me. Amazing, man. I love it when people, you know, when people start introduce themselves and you just feel yourself going, that CV looks wicked. And I wish I could be like that when I grow up, man. Um, but yeah, that sounds amazing. I guess first off from me, and then obviously, guys, feel free to ask what you want. Um, what were your motivations behind getting into the kind of work that you do? Yeah, do you, do you know what? It's, 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 it's an interesting one. I've had an interesting journey, I guess, because um, I'm from North London. So grew up in and around kind of the Tottenham area, although I went to school in Highgate. Everyone says, oh, that's nice, Highgate. Highgate School is like, no, Highgate Wood is a comprehensive school. And they go, ah, right, okay, and kind of move the conversation on pretty swiftly from that point. Um, And I always had a strong interest in sport, so I was desperate to be a footballer. um, But the reality was I wasn't good enough. Um, I think my dad told me that when I was about 11, which was heartbreaking. But um, as a teacher, he was a he, well, he was a teacher, um, has been a teacher all of his life. Um, me focusing on my education was super super important to him, as it was for my mum, who's also a teacher. Um, so so I, I kind of was told early doors that that wasn't going to be 
my my career necessarily, although I, I always got the encouragement from them. So I started sort of looking at what I'd done while I was sort of playing as as a as a young man, and I'd always been writing these crazy notes of every game I'd played. So I was analysing every single player, and when I look back now, that's essentially a match report. And so I wanted to be involved in in football, but I didn't really know how. And when I looked at the television, all right, I'd see Garth Crooks there. Um, and that would be literally the only black person I would see for me to follow. And my analysis of that situation was, well, hang on, hasn't he played hundreds of games in, in the top flight? So I've got absolutely no chance of a profession in that area. So I just cracked on, was very fortunate to go to university, studied geography, um, and then came out the back of that and thought, what am I going to do? As most people do when they leave uni, I think. Um, fell into the Kick Races Amount football campaign, very, very fortunately. Um, volunteered there, worked there. So I was working in sport. So that was my dream. And then that was the beginning of of, of, of my involvement with sport. Um, and then I got to move on to work for the BBC six, seven years later. Um, and and I spotted things that I didn't 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 like or thought I could address in terms of underrepresentation. Ultimately, I was going there as a campaigner, although I was going there, you know, to become a journalist, and I was able to do that. Um, and then set up, you know, different initiatives. And and um, you know, ten years later, because it's been you know ten years since I set those things up, um, you know, they are now part of the sports industry. It's a bit nuts when I kind of reflect on it now. You know, an idea that was literally written down on a pad, you know. Um, in a very small flat that I was living in at the time, you know, for it to become something that's kind of talked about by the very top administrators, not just in um, national football, but international football, you know, just goes to show that, you know, if anyone's listening to this and they've got an idea and it's literally written on a pad, give it time, give it time, mm -hmm. you know, and, and put the work in and then hopefully you'll get some luck like I did and, and things things can, can happen. You can make some kind of difference. Wow. I mean, Leon, when I look, you know, just look through your website quickly, there's some of the people that you've met and worked with. It's like the names, like Usain Bolt, Shellyanne Fraser-Price, Seth Blatter, Rio Ferdinand. Like these are big, big names in the world of sport. Um, did you ever get nervous meeting these kinds of people? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 100% um, at first. But then, you know, you know, it becomes your norm, and I don't want that to sound arrogant in any way. But to, again, to, to to people listening to this, particularly if there's any young people listening to this who might feel, you know, daunted by the prospect of being around these people and how they would respond to it, you get used to it. And you know, in terms of the professionalism, you approach these because um, you know this is work. You know, these, these are all work opportunities. I've got to ultimately go and do a job, whether that's with Usain Bolt. You know, I've got to. Um, produce or conduct an interview um, that has to be to a very, very high standard because I'm aware that there's probably some people who don't think I'm up to being in that position. So I've got even more pressure. So you have to respond. You have to do the job um, as well as you can. So actually that level of focus on your job kind of kind of takes away the nerves as soon as you get that first question out. That's what I found. You know, I found I'd be, I suffered from terrible nerves like sweaty palms I couldn't speak to people properly before I kind of got on an interview I didn't want to hear people coming to me talking about anything else apart from the work I was about to do because people do that sometimes I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that you're doing something really important and then somebody wants to talk to you about something completely different just before yeah. you're about to do something yeah. very important 
and they just don't oh. get it. I'm like saying, guys, I don't want to talk about <clears throat> Tottenham Arsenal you know, in 2008 and wasn't that a great game. I'm about to do something <laughs> really important here. Um, so, so yeah, so, you know, again, just to- totally blessed to have the opportunities, quite frankly. And, um, you know, I, I haven't up- updated that website in a while, so um, I-, I definitely need to-, to make it more reflective of a lot of things I'm um, I'm-, I'm doing now. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's um, yeah, it's been, it's, it's been great. Amazing. Um, guys, I know that I, I just want to ask one more question because I feel like I'm talking a lot and asking all the questions right now. But one of the things that comes to my mind, especially when we talk about sport, and I've been wanting to have this conversation forever, is what prevents, I guess, like you were talking about, there's a lot of black people as sports men and sports women um, doing the actual work, but then behind the scenes or the management or the other stuff around sport, we don't really see black people in those positions. Um, from all of the work that you've done in that in this industry, it'd be really interesting to sort of dive in and talk about why that might be the case. Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, it's a big question that's certainly being discussed and debated um, a lot more at the moment. Um, off the back of you know the Black Lives Matter messaging that we've seen highly prominent across football and every sport, we saw the West Indies cricketers drop to a knee. Um, as we have done with Premier League footballers, you know, I've been speaking to the guys who set up a black coalition in the MLS for so the black footballers over um, in America. I mean, there's so much going on. I've been on calls with um, rugby players, black rugby players who, who are kind of coming together to speak. Um, I'm aware that the boxers are doing similar things. There's, 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 there's a real movement at the moment in terms of black people coming together, which is um, really good to see, in my opinion. Um you know, um, I think I think we, we we need a black voice or black voices that are unified in sport. That's something that's been been missing in my view. Um, but in terms of that challenge of um, the underrepresentation of black people outside of the field of play, um, I, th- I think I think there's so much going on there. There's, there's, there's just so much going on. I mean, you know, <clears throat> clearly it it reflects the the fact that you know th- 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 these sports see black people as athletes and when they stop being athletes they're done they're done we, we have no use for you that's ultimately what's being said and all the statistics support that now if you were to speak to any of the administrators they'd be horrified um, by that um, however you know the reality is what it is and the stats are what they are and even when I've asked quite direct questions about okay well I've been working in football sport for 20 years um i'm i'm not aware of any headhunting that you've done across let's say the red brick universities second year students like many of my friends who um were fortunate enough to go to um the top top universities in terms of right let's try and get these guys into the system um and let's help them through this system um because they fit our definition of best you know they fit our definition of best who are recruiting in terms of the white guys that we're recruiting. So things like that not happening, but then me seeing, you know, a succession of community pieces where football clubs are going into black communities to stop black kids stabbing each other. Um, and sorry to put it in those crass terms, but it's just kind of, you know, the the strength of feeling I have. Um, and I'm not saying don't do that. I'm not saying <clears throat> football clubs don't go into communities and try and help and give opportunities to people. 
But whenever you work with black people, it just appears that you work with us in a particular way. Mm. You work mm. with us to make us become better athletes, you, to make us faster, stronger, more skillful, so we can come into the, the, the sports arena and be successful and contribute to the success of your business as athletes. Mm. Or you work with us in terms of like a charitable way, in terms of like saying, well, we're going to help you to, 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 to stay away from crime, from crime, crime even, um and and um we're, we're going to help you in that way so for me actually the big thing that's missing is well why don't you help us become leaders you know if, if there is a need for help you know mm. um because i don't think that's probably the right term but i think that's how they see it um then 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 set up the leadership courses show me the better recruitment show me the more targeted recruitment so mm. i can have a, a belief in you that you are genuinely dedicated to seeing on your leadership teams good representation of black and Asian people, um, good representation um, in other areas of your business. Open up the Rooney Rule. Give it a go properly, you know. Mm. Um, the Rooney Rule, for those listening who might not know what it is, is um, something that was put in the NFL where um, a black person um, or a person offering a different diversity um, is given an interview opportunity as a way of forcing the system to at least... Um, speak to different candidates that they weren't speaking to previously. Um, it had some success in the NFL um, and, um, you know, has kind of gone up and down in terms of the success rates and they've recently beefed it up to give it a good opportunity to, 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 to work in a, in a way that gets more results. But, you know, football hasn't been doing these things. Sport hasn't been doing these things in the way that um, reflects the urgency around this issue. So, um, so, so we've got lots of work to do. Yeah, that's 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 really interesting. Um, I've definitely come across in some job adverts like the whole um, you're guaranteed. Do you want to be considered as a particular type of applicant so that you know if you're from a Bain background, you're guaranteed to have like an interview or something like that? So um, mm-hmm. it's interesting to, to see that's being implemented outside of sports as well. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to like kind of backtrack a little bit and talk about what you mentioned around not that many kind of black people within the off the field elements of, of football and I guess wider sports as well. Um, this is like, obviously I don't have as much insight into it as you, but I was wondering, do you think there's a certain element of aspiration and visibility in the sense that, you know, they, for instance, if, I'm not personally into football like that, but um, I kind of liken it to music where, you have loads of people that want to be rappers, want to be singers, um, other types of artists, but may not really know the full extent of the opportunities that are involved in the whole music industry, um, as opposed to just, you know, being on the front line as the artist or I guess in the comparatively when it comes to sports, kind of being on the field. Um, so firstly, I guess, do you think there's there's an element of like, there's not that much transparency around the opportunities that is, that's being passed on to people from our community or... Um, do you feel like people are aware of it, but it's just certain kind of like barriers towards getting into that arena? Yeah, and on, on sorry, Ali, on, on on the back of that, I just because I wanted to ask basically the exact same question, but in terms of like the 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 black players that you've interacted with, how many of them actually you know are very interested in getting their badges, UA for B, UA for A, and actually trying to get into you know like proper management or even punditry or something like that. So yeah, just just following on on the back of that. Yeah. Um, in in terms of opportunities, you're absolutely right. 
and and that's kind of why I set up the football blacklist as a way, as a as a mechanism, if you like, to 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 kind of get those um, jobs and different roles and the few people that are doing it can to, to shine a light on them to kind of help to um, to to raise awareness, if you like, um, of the the kind of different opportunities that 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 are out there that people um, from our communities should be um, or could be um, getting involved in. I think part of the, the, the issue is because of, you know, such a, a lack of, um, um, a lack of uptake. Um, I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but because there are so few black people in those positions, it does in some way create this kind of poverty of aspiration, if you like, um, because people think, well, you know, hang on, am I going to get a fair opportunity here? Am I going to get a chance? Because, you know, there's a fair amount of things I would have to do to, to get into that position. And if I'm going to go through all of that process and actually have seen other people go through those processes and not get a chance to get in, um, then, then what's the point? And um, certainly when it comes to, to players, when they've retired, I've heard that lots and lots. And that kind of speaks to this point about getting badges um, and about putting um themselves forward for for opportunities in terms of black players now i can say that in terms of like the badges from what the professional footballers association say um which is the players union in 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 football in professional football um in england um their their, their feeling is you know there are black players going for their their badges um however um then they're just not getting the opportunities and that's why the call for the Rooney rule has been so strong from black players. Um, of course, there are black players out there who will say, look, I don't want to be given an opportunity just because I'm black. You know, that's, that's ridiculous. I don't want to be um, involved in anything like that. But interestingly, many of those players who were saying that 10 years ago are now today saying, no, we need the Rooney rule because I have had so few job opportunities um, to even get an interview that I can see what the problem is now. I've experienced the problem um, and 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 a big part of that is because recruitment is is based on these closed networks um, that many black people are not part of. Um, it means that that it's 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 almost impossible to 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 get a job as a black person. Um, and because of the informality of how recruitment has been done, you know, over decades and decades, you know, it's kind of created this situation where. Um, a chairman says, "Oh, right, I quite like that guy, and yeah, you know, he 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 seems like he'd be the right person for the job." Um, and then, and then suddenly, that person has been invited in, and and they've got the job. And the way that football works, as we know, managers sacked on Wednesday, the new managers in by the following Monday, doesn't allow much time for a recruitment process. However, what we're saying as campaigners, what people are saying within the game is, has that really worked? Can you show us that recruitment in this way has been successful? Because if you look at the way football has operated um, in terms of the quick turnaround of managers, that manager fails, he's getting paid up, you've had to pay someone millions and millions um, to get them out of your club. You know, Actually, by slowing the process down a bit or offering a shorter-term contract to the end of the season um, to allow you time to be able to run a proper process, then actually what we're saying is this is better for football all round. And this is much better in terms of a, a fair and open process for for, for everybody. So um, so there's lots of um, there's lots of conversations going on, and like I say, at the moment there's 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 a real energy to those conversations where 
Um, many people uh, have been asking for change for decades. Now we're at a place where because of Black Lives Matter, people are reflecting on where the black community sits within football. They're annoyed um, and angry and upset that one in three professional footballers in England is black. However, you know, we've got five BAME managers at the moment. Um, We have one black chairman across 91 professional clubs. He became the owner and chairman of that club in 1976. So he has, I think it's 44 years of not having somebody else at that level. So, and, and, and if you look at the money that is generated by the Premier League, let's say the last television deal, I believe, was worth £9.2 billion over three years. So the contribution of black people to generating that sum of money, you know, amounts to you have to do a better job with us mm-hmm. as black people, as black players, particularly speaking to black players, when we come to the end of our time as athletes. Because you have to create the pathways that we know exist for our white counterparts. We need those for ourselves as black players. So, like I say, very interesting time in football at the moment. Yeah, that's that's. Um, it reminds me of, I think Danny Rose not too long ago was speaking out about how once he kind of gets towards the end of his career playing, he kind of just wants to see the back of you know, football in, in general, like he doesn't really want to go for opportunities to go into management or coaching or whatever the case is. And I think it probably is due to, you know, what you talk about in regards to representation at that level. Like, I think he actually made reference to, um, to like Paul Ince and um, I think you might say something like Heskey and how like they've had so many barriers um, if, if they faced in trying to get into management as well. Um, so no, you're you're absolutely right about, you know, particularly when it comes towards the end of their careers, like how they can progress within, without, within that because it essentially is helping, well, making people essentially self-select out of that because they don't feel like it's something that they can actually do well in. Mm. Yeah. Is it, well, the existence of a footballer is a strange one. Yeah, we, we read about the top footballers earning millions and millions and kind of say, well, what, what have they ever got to complain about, right? Um, mm. But as a footballer, you're a commodity. You're a commodity. You know, if you have two, three bad games, you will be seen by your employer as worth and valued less. And they will try and remove you and sell you on to a lesser employer, potentially, or if they can get the money, you know, whatever employer is there. So you you are moved around um, in in a way that doesn't have a level of care. A lot of the mm. time, and I have to be careful of what I'm saying here. But you know, essentially, these guys are commodities. Um, so, you know, if you add the layer onto that of being um, a black person and how you are seen and valued within society, you know, it's it's um, it's a it's a it's 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 a, it's a it, there's a lot to kind of think about. And I think what's probably happened with Danny, he's been thinking pretty deep about you know himself and and how he's kind of valued in this world. Um, mm. And looking at you know what opportunities will will Danny have when he finishes playing, um, I think all the evidence is there to suggest that he's got a good case to be um, worried and concerned um, about what that looks like. And you know I think sadly for this generation of um, black players who are incredibly powerful if they stand together, they'll get things changed if they stand together one hundred percent because. Could you imagine if the players all got together and said, we ain't playing this Saturday? The mm. whole 
the whole product folds, you know? So even the threat of that would lead to significant change, I believe. However, asking, you know, a group of young men to, to do that, who, um, who um, you know, perhaps aren't as engaged in what the situation looks like when they finish playing mm. is, is, is a difficult one. And, and I'd argue, is it a fair one to be asking um, these guys to, to do that? But um, I think, you know, there's, there's, there's real challenges, but if, if ever football has an opportunity to put these things right in some significant way that kind of moves us forward, it's now. But the time is running out because, you know, the Black Lives Matter messaging um, has what one one more week to go in in the Premier League, um, and then we return to what we were doing before mm. in football in probably six six seven weeks when the new season starts up, um, and you can be guaranteed that no one will be talking about Black Lives Matter at that stage, not in football. Yeah, no, that's a, yeah. that's a good point. I w- I wanted to ask, um, in terms of, I mean, not. Actually, yeah. In, in terms of the the messaging and awareness, I mean, how how many chairmen and ch- or chairwomen actually? I mean, I support West Ham, so we've got Karen Brady. But I mean, mm-hmm. how many people upstairs um, are you know have expressed to you open support of say something like a Rooney Rule or something like that? And then um, it's kind of further down, like thinking about the the, the players on the field. How many of them? Have actually kind of shown kind of wider awareness about black issues and obviously I can highlight um, Raheem Sterling in terms of talking about being vilified by the press and of course Marcus Rashford with the um, the free school meals campaign which was I think it was wonderful to get like you know the government to make a U-turn but just and it was just the, the broad spectrum of awareness from right up where you know rooms you know smoke filled cigar kind of rooms or down to down to the pitch. Yeah, I mean it's, it's 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 an interesting one, and it's an interesting time um, in that regard because um, Paul Elliott, who is a um, former player who's moved into um, administration, um, who has a um, um, uh, he's got a shadowing role at the moment on the FA's board, but he also heads up their um, inclusion and diversity um, internal board. But he has put together. Um, a recruitment code, a code for the clubs to follow that he is asking them all to sign up. And in my conversations with him, you know, he's been pretty positive in terms of the response from, you know, the big leaders in the game. Um, my, my own experience is an interesting one with, with with these guys because when you talk about a Rooney rule or you talk about setting targets to increase the diversity in their leadership teams, etc., it kind of always comes back to, yeah, but is is, is that fair and you know, is it is it, it? Can we legally do that? And and it's very easy for them to go away and find out if they can legally do it. And and trust me, when there's a will to do things in football, it finds a way. We've got a homegrown rule in football, um, where you have to have so many homegrown players in your squad. Um, you know, the the EFL, the English Football League, has managed to have a mandatory um, recruitment code at academy level in terms of increasing diversity. Um, there's a voluntary code in in um, the EFL, which is, and when I say recruitment code, it's essentially the the Rooney Rule. They, they they're kind of already doing it um, in the um, in the lower leagues 
Um, but because it's voluntary, it's not really having the, the impact it, it should do at first team level. However, in the academies, there has been some success. So you can point to success there and, and say that it, it it's working. But um, the the leaders, it's, it's, it's funny because their responses are, I'm not sure if that's, if, would that be fair? And um, below, even at the, that event that, that, that we, we were at together, you know, I'm, I'm hearing executives on the kind of the, mm-hmm. the, the top table talking about, you know, I wouldn't like to go down the route of positive discrimination. Mm. Well, well, you can't because it's illegal. <laughs> but, you know, if, if you talk about positive action, which is encouraged by law, mm. then, then we're talking, right? But that, that for, 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 for guys who have kind of been complicit in an incredibly unfair, unequal system, for them to be talking about, well, it wouldn't make it fair, shows me that they don't really understand that they're sat at the centre of a structure that is completely unfair, that is completely um, exclusionary to um, black and Asian people, to women, you know. Um, and so that's almost the, that, that first hurdle of them kind of opening their eyes and, and, and understanding um, div- diversity, the business case for diversity, and there's various kind of studies out there for that. So I, I hope that dynamic will change. But the, the the good news, and I like to try and keep it positive in some way, is at least we're having those kind of conversations. Um, in terms of the players and the wider awareness, I think, you know, Raheem, you know, it's been fantastic in terms of um, using his platform to raise awareness and, you know, now working with sponsors like Gillette and Nike to, to kind of push that message. Um, obviously, you know, for those brands, it, it, it kind of is something that, that, that fits well. Um, they're, they're, what Marcus did was sensational with the school meals, you know, reversing government policy. <laughs> I just point to that to, the, to a lot of the players I, I, I'm speaking to and saying, look, you can do it. Mm. Um, and and in terms of the, the many other players, they, 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 I think they get so caught up in, in the challenges of playing professional football and, and they are living a comfortable life that actually this, this does dawn on them once they become retired players. Mm. And unfortunately, once you become a retired player, even by a year or two, no one really wants to listen to, to you in the same way. Um, and it comes across as sour grapes. Oh, so you've, you've had an incredible football career. You've earned millions. Now you can't get a job afterwards. Now you're getting... Um, now you're getting annoyed about it and now you start talking about these issues is how I think it's span against them um, and, and 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 because of that they don't get the mainstream buy-in so I think it's going to take current players working with former players working with academics working with campaigners to to, to, to get things done and if you look at what what's happened in the MLS which I think is fascinating where a group of black players in the MLS, um, are all on a WhatsApp group, 70 of them, all saying, look, what's happened in our country is a disgrace. It's made it's made me think about what's going on with how money is being spent in our leagues. It's made me think about the representation of, um, of black executives across the MLS. Um, so they came together and they formed a, a Black Players Coalition. Um, and they launched it within, I think, three, four weeks. Um, made a real impact with that and you know I speak to them regularly really good people and you know they're getting sponsors offering them money to support them with their work they're in constant dialogue with the league and they're getting stuff done 
and that's because they've come together um, with those with those with those thoughts. I mean, they're, 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 one of the big things for them was so we generate we help to generate money for our league, but we don't know how that money is spent in the black community. That doesn't feel right. So now they have to be consulted on how the money is being spent in the black community. Now, for me, that's a massive step forward. So one of the things I've been helping to do is helping to connect those guys with some of the guys here in England just to listen to 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 their experience um, and to help them understand their power. Um, because this isn't about a division of black and white players. It absolutely is not about that. But it is about recognising, well, where is our black voices players? Who 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 is our black voice? And you know, the Professional Football Association um, does a number of things incredibly well, um, but they're never going to be a, a voice for the, the black community. It, it's it just I don't see how that is possible for that to be um, for that to become a, a reality. They, they speak for all of the players, and and rightly so. They're a union, right? And they can speak to black issues, but they can never be a black voice. So, is there an opportunity here? Um, for a group um, to be formed to focus specifically on on black issues um, and just be a voice, not a union. It doesn't need to be a union. We don't need another union. We've got one that's that's perfectly good at what they do. Um, but just in terms of like voicing the, the concerns, the ideas of black people, I think is um, something personally that I would love to see. I wanted to ask a question just a little bit more about the overt forms of racism that some players face, um, particularly when they go abroad to play. Um, And I was wondering, like, there's a lot of complaints around the fact that the repercussions of fans, for instance, you know, having racist chants or throwing stuff at black players is so limited that there's no real incentive for them to stop or for any real tangible change to be made. I just wanted to hear your thoughts on that. Like, what do you think is going to take for, um, you know, those those in power to actually make a real effort to to stop the issues that are faced by black players when they go abroad at times? And what do you think needs to be done to like really incentivize that change to happen? Because at the end of the day, um, it, football, the industry is, is a business essentially, and you know, banning, you know, like stopping games or banning players, etc. That's going to have an impact on their their bottom line. So what is needed to really like to force their hand to make them want to like really take it seriously? Mm. Well, I mean, I think um, part of the answers within your question, when you said those in power, you know, if we look at who those in power are, you know, certainly across the kind of European game, um, I, I can't think of a, a, a black person in a, in, a, in a very senior position. Um, at let's say a UEFA, um, so you know, in terms of their understanding, um, personal experience of these issues when they're coming to make decisions, um, you know, there's real challenges there. I mean, in fact, what I'm saying is that Bobby Barnes, who is the deputy chief executive of the um, of the PFA, the Professional Football Association, he actually has just joined their disciplinary committee as the very first black person to ever be part of that. So, um, so that hopefully will begin to make some sort of a difference, but there, there, there needs to be some change there. In terms of, you know, making a change, I think the sponsors have a huge role in all of this, be it 
you know, their relationships with the, the Premier League here in terms of look, what does the leadership of the sport look like and are we comfortable ploughing billions and millions into into a sport that actually isn't treating um, all of our customers fairly in terms mm-hmm. of looking at their, their customer base. I think there's a strong argument to be to be made there that kind of, again, talks to the money, which is a thing that will move the chairman and chief executives of, of all the professional clubs to move. And I think similarly with, 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 with European competitions. Um, you know, I think if you look at the the sponsors that they have in place, are they comfortable with supporting um, a sport to the level of money that they are? Um, that brings racism into the front rooms of people, not just across Europe, but across the world. Um, you know, they, they, they have a huge role here. You know, if you ever want to make change, you know, or force change, and people don't appear to be listening, you have to go and impact their money because that's what everyone moves to, right? You know, if someone goes and messes with my money, you can be sure that I'm going to start thinking about how I can make some significant changes to get that money back in my life. You know, that is just, I think, the reality um, that we face. And to these businesses, you know, it's it's tenfold in terms of, you know, they, they are there to generate money. Yeah. Um, so if those sponsors, you know, move forward in that way, it will make a difference in the way that, you know, campaigners have been knocking on doors with ideas, asking, pleading for change. And it's just not happened in the way that it should have done. There's been lots of great work. There has been progress. People talk about there's been no progress. There has been progress, but nowhere near the levels um, that we need to prevent racism um, happening again and again and again. And of course, what happens in society is mirrored in the stadiums. Um, but, you know, I think one of the things that we've seen here in England, um, in the Premier League, where, of course, there have been, you know, incidents and any incident is too much, but the kind of self-policing of the fans, um, the understanding um, that it's socially unacceptable to be, you know, racially abusing anybody um, has helped us to address overt racism in this country. Um, and I think it's going to take a lot more um in 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 and across other parts of Europe where there are difficult and different political challenges that manifest themselves in different ways. For example, what we saw in Bulgaria when Bulgaria played England um, recently, and we saw, you know, hundreds of fans in black hoodies racially abusing our England players, um, but then just basically being removed from the ground. But it looked like it was a choice on their side to prevent them getting a worse um, sanction from from UEFA, so actually, you know, in terms of how much that does, um, you know, there's there's work to do. Which leads me to ask, because I feel like back in the day, I'm not even back in the day. Like, I think traditionally, a lot of footballers are discouraged from being political in any way. Like, mm. when you when you like watch some of their post game interviews. It's kind of like the same thing being said all the time, very kind of like monotone. There's not much personality that's that footballers convey. And I don't know if that's what's encouraged from their agents or whoever the case is, because they don't want to, you know, they want to kind of stick to, they don't want to get, you know, be too political, essentially. I don't think there's too many other words um, for that. But um, now I feel like with um, social media and I think a little bit with just people, there's a momentum around, you know, Black Lives Matter, etc. 
um, footballers are now able to express themselves more and be a lot more vocal and show a bit more personality. And I think yeah. definitely more so when, you know, after you retire from football, you, you're given that space to do that. But do you feel like there's going to be a time where current footballers that are still in the game, still playing, can be, can show a lot more personality, can kind of give their opinions on more serious issues and not just like, you know, just kind of like happy-go-lucky, just, just stick to yeah. the, the sports side of things? 100%, 100%. And, I, and I'll tell you one of the reasons why is, is social media is playing a, a huge role in them being able to see what's going on in the States um, because they're looking across to their... I mean, the, a lot of footballers, they really idolise the NBA and NFL stars. You know, they really do. They like There's so many um, fans of, of, of stars there. And of course... You know, the music industry is another big influence on, on many footballers. Um, and now what's going on is, I, I know this is happening for a fact, but a lot of those American sports stars are sending DMs to our Premier League stars saying, what are you guys doing? What are you guys saying? Because you've got a big opportunity here because we're in the NFL and the NBA and we're setting up our own production companies, our own mm-hmm. businesses. We're leveraging um, the the league in terms of the league's um, impact on the world, but you do realize your league is twice as big as ours. Mm-hmm. So why aren't you lot leveraging this? Because if you were to set up your own production company, then you should be doing X, Y, Z. Um, you could be doing all these other business things. So what you know? What, what's 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 going on? Why are you guys just taking, um, let's say, an, an appearance fee when actually you could be owning half of the product? You know, in a time of Netflix and Amazons and Quibis and all these kind of platforms, you know, talking to the media situation, you know, um, there's there's a huge opportunity there. And also the second thing to that is we're now seeing how brands are jumping on the whole athlete activism thing. It's now uh, something that sells products, you know, to, to be working with an athlete that stands for something. You know, the, the brands really like that. You know, you stand for something. So actually, we um, believe a positive association with with yourself um, will help to sell our product. Although they don't say it as crassly as that, but let's 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 get to the bottom line of um, what these what these um, businesses are trying to do. So I do think we're going to see more of it. Um, you know, as a consultant myself, you know, I kind of speak to a lot of the players in terms of the you know how are you building your brand. Um, how are you going to create something that when you finish playing, you can step into something um, as as the CEO, but actually you've started developing it from the age of 27. So by the time you get to 33, 34, when it's time to step out, you're excited about what your next step is mm. um, in terms of stepping into something as opposed to having this kind of, um, you know, um, death of a career that takes two, three years to get over and then suddenly you end up sat on a sofa at BT Sport, you know, talking about football once a week, you know, actually start building things now. And, and the Americans are really pushing on um, in, a, in, a, in a very, very aggressive, typically American way in terms of there's an opportunity here. Um, I had the opportunity to meet a, a guy called Maverick Carter about eight years ago. Now, Maverick Carter is the best friend of LeBron James. Um, and he's also, you know, one of the sharpest business people I've met. Um, and if you kind of look him up for anyone listening who doesn't know about him, he's a real inspirational figure, um, in my view, in terms of the things he set up. Now, I was talking to him at that point um, about 
you know, athlete management and working with athletes because I was solely a sports journalist at the time. But my vision was always, you know, it'd be really interesting to to look at working as a sports consultant and, and helping players develop their brands because I felt it was um, an area that, that wasn't being developed. And interestingly, at the time, he wanted to talk to me about how do you shoot a player and what kind of cameras you're using and all this kind of stuff. And I was just completely confused. But he saw the opportunity in content at that time when I was looking at a different opportunity. So he was way, way, way ahead of the game. Um, and now if you look at what he's um, put together with LeBron, who he calls the human platform, you know, they've got their um, uninterrupted um, platform, um, which is really interesting. You know, they're doing multi, multi-million deals, multi-million dollar deals with Netflix you know, a lot of the things you'll see um, on the television, um, you know, they're exec produced by Maverick Carter. So have a little look. Um, oh, what is it? Ashley Waters is in it. Oh, Top Boy. Yeah. Top Boy. Exec producer of Top Boy, Maverick Carter. Oh, I didn't Drake. even know that. I did not know yeah. that. Yeah. Oh. Have, 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 have a little look. In, and, and, and see, they're, they're just spotting opportunities and they're involved in so many different things. Um, you know, I think they're setting the example for our players here, um, many of who um, are multi-millionaires who can afford to invest. There are players who are investors that I know investing in tech and all sorts of things um, that I think is really interesting. Um, and I think we're going to see more of that. I think we're definitely going to see more of that. Yeah, that's that's super encouraging because, yeah, I always, I always feel like there's so much more that can be done when you're able to leverage your your brand your the awareness that you have as a as a person in society and you know the money and everything like there's so much that can be done and I guess in that regard as well do you feel like there is a responsibility for you know black players for instance to do something within the communities because um the reason I ask I know there's a few examples of some of the African players that I can't remember was it Mane that has like he basically mm. is the economy of his hometown, essentially. Like, mm. he he basically pays for everything. He pays people through school and, you know, he does so much. And I think that I know of that obligation just from being a, um, I guess, a second-generation immigrant when my parents, like, they come to the UK from Ghana and they have to, like, send money back mm. and help family and stuff. Do you feel like, um, you know, players that come from... I mean, typically they tend to come from like kind of working class backgrounds, working class neighborhoods. Do you think they have an obligation to uplift their communities as well? Is it, you know, kind of case mm. by case, not so much? Yeah, I, I, I think I think many of them see it that way. And I think, you know, one very prominent player who I was working with um, as a consultant, um, I, I looked at the kind of things he was doing in terms of giving money back Um to um, to a country in West Africa, and I, and I won't go into too much of the detail because like he he wants it to, to to remain private. But so he was sending such a lot of money back to um, to his home country. He was doing so much there, and I said you should let people know about this because you know in terms of how you're perceived, maybe people don't don't understand that you do care about so many different things in the world and you are not just talking the talk but you're walking the walk in terms of making this contribution now his response was what i do is between me and my god 
you know, which was a powerful statement um, that made it very difficult for me to respond to that because it was a very personal choice. Mm. But um, I think there are probably others who would like to share um, what they're doing, but they just don't have um, any support to be able to share those things because again it kind of talks to i'm not sure i mean football agents are making so much money on deals that actually so many things you know don't get done properly outside of those deals like the pr the branding um the kind of charity work being done in a structured way as opposed to just big sums of money just shoved um off to 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 different people Mm -hmm. um so so I think because of that, because of that lack of care around players, they 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 don't they don't share things in the way that I think maybe they they should do um, to be able to raise awareness. Because what what I have said to players is I've said, look, you know, this isn't about you know doing this for PR necessarily. This is about doing this to encourage others, you know, who are in a position to kind of give back in whatever way that is, you know, whether it's kind of to a home country, whether it's to a a cause or whatever it is. And this also kind of begins to tell your authentic proper story because, you know, many of these players might have a disabled family member and because of that kind of relationship, um, they'll make particular contributions and, and do particular things, but we'll never hear that personal story that actually, if they shared that it would give you a better understanding of who they are and what they care about. And, mm. and, and, and so things don't feel random if you like. But again, yeah. because of the the lack of structure and care around some of these players, um, and I know that that Mane does have a, a PR person um, who 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 assists, but I don't think they necessarily kind of put tons out in the media here. I think you'll you'll see a lot of the the press coverage around the stuff that he does maybe in Senegal. Yeah. Um, but but I think I think that's 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 a part of the challenge because yeah, I mean looking at Mane, I mean he's built a hospital. He's built a mosque, um, you know. He's he's done so much for 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 his village. Yeah. Um, but I think you know he, it's it's just. I think if I asked him why, he'd go well. Well, why not? You know, of course I was going to do this. Um, so so yeah. I I I think can players do more? Um, yes, absolutely. But I think we don't know half of what they do at the moment. Yeah, not very okay. true. That makes sense. I want to, sorry, I'll, Leon, I want to ask, um, it's just a question that came into my, my head and that was in terms of the Black Lives um, Matter messaging that we've seen recently in, in the Prem. Do you think it's comparable to the, the Kick Racism Out campaign that we saw years ago? And I don't want to say how futile that was, but especially around the time of, you know, the whole um, the saga with like the Ferdinand family and, and Rio getting into trouble of not wanting to wear the, the kit or wear the, the shirt because of, um, you know, what family members are going through and what have you. So I just, you know, do you think there's a comparison between what happened then and what's happening now? And yeah, just, just to see your thoughts on that. Yeah, I just wanted to add as well, because I was thinking along the same lines. I remember the hype about the wristbands that I was wearing Remember, it was like early, early school. I was in secondary school, but everyone had the, the like the white and the black interlocked wristbands. And, you know, we've mm. seen throughout, even throughout my life, these what seem like tokenistic attempts in the mm. Prem, particularly 
to talk about racism, but never like, uh, yeah, on what Tom's saying, that never really go anywhere. But I just wanted to add that. Yeah, no, and 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 it's and it's a really really good question because it's 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 something. I mean, I I, I was there for the the wristbands, the Nike wristbands, the black and white ones that Thierry Henry and Rio kind of um, were the um, the front people for. It's an interesting story behind that. You know, Rio and Thierry were um, seen as the people who, well, I think it was Thierry. Thierry was seen as the person who said, look, I want everyone to have these black and white wristbands because we've got to fight against racism. There's a lot going on in Spain at the time, if I remember correctly. But where that came from was um, Nike had a very senior black person who was at the England versus Spain game. I don't know if you remember, it's a long time ago in um, a number of the, the black England players were subjected to monkey chants. And this black senior exec at Nike said, now we've got to do something about this as a company. And then they started coming up with ideas, spoke to Thierry Henry about it. And then you had those black and white wristbands. And that's where that um, apparently came from. Um, with the, the T-shirts, I think um, the T-shirts was a really interesting situation because um, the Anton... Ferdinand and John Terry um, case um, happened at a time that players were just getting on social media so could share their thoughts, could see what other players were saying and thinking, other journalists were saying on social media. So before, if you had a player in Sunderland and one in Exeter, they'd never have a clue of what each other was saying. Social media changed that dynamic so everyone could see what each other was saying and then they started connecting in a way that black players had never connected before. Um, in terms of not wearing the kick-out T-shirt, I know because I spoke to a number of the players who did that, it wasn't necessarily about kick-it-out. It was about the game's response to racism was wear these T-shirts. So it wasn't necessarily about the organisation. It was more so about the fact that you know this T-shirt can't be the response to this huge, huge problem. Um, so many chose not to, many chose to wear the t-shirts and it was a really interesting time and certainly created a moment um, for change. Um, interestingly, I know that uh, a Black Players Coalition, if you like, was nearly formed at that point, but it was felt that everybody should be working together and, and actually creating a Black Players Coalition at that point would have just created um, a distraction um, because everybody would have just talked about the division of black and white people and not actually the issues that they wanted to talk about, which was representation ultimately. Where are the black people in the corridors of power um, who who we can look to when we have problems like this? Now, where this is different, I believe, is this is a global movement, number one. They're looking to colleagues, friends um, in the States and all corners of the world who have been getting behind this message. Many of the black players... Um, and we saw some of them were kind of captured on, on camera, um, joined many of those protests um, at a time where, believe me, their clubs would not have wanted them to have been in those environments um, because football was heavily under pressure to get back on the field and the concerns around COVID-19, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, you know that, that was a major statement um, by those players who went and joined the protests to kind of their strength of feeling. Um, now, you know, um, now they've got the, the messaging on the back of the shirts, you know, the question is, it can't just be this. And, and I can assure people listening that that is the energy of the players that I'm speaking to. You know, it can't just be, we've done something symbolic, you know, now we want to see 
what the actual change is going to be. Um, now, of course, there's every chance that you know the um, the energy around Black Lives Matter messaging in in football just is diluted, and then we're back to a new season, and we're excited about our teams potentially being able to do things that we know they're probably never going to do, right? But that's just the kind of the the energy that there is in and around the beginning of a new season. So for me, there is a window of opportunity to be asking um, and working with the game's governing bodies um, to do something significant. Um, I mentioned it earlier, there is a code that's being um, put forward um, to the clubs um, by Paul Elliott, who's part of um, the FA and the FA are supporting with that, that could um, have an impact. Um, and players are self-organising in terms of what they can ask for collectively. So I think it's difficult to give a definitive answer to the que- the, the question of, will this make a difference that's significant? Um, I think the answer to that question we'll see in the next three weeks. Yeah, I think I think you're right. You're like, the more I think about it, the more... This is such a pressing issue at this current moment in time and it's so hard to think, I don't know what's going to happen in the next month, you know? I don't know what things are going to look like because there's so much action being taken across sectors and even in my line of work, you know, training organisations in diversity and inclusion, I don't know whether what, what their actions are going to look like because it's hard to imagine whether this is, again, another reaction to something that's happened which may not lead to systemic change or whether this is actually going to be something that's beyond just the moment and I wanted to just say guys I just realized the time on this podcast we got time for just probably one more question if either of you want to jump in and ask Leon something yeah I had one question actually um taking a little bit I guess a change of pace but you made reference earlier to excuse me made reference to telling our own stories and you know as we're where Leon you are filmmaker setting up or um, have set up a production company and a lot of our audience are you know creative they um, want to do things like this kind of create content and and tell their stories and speak about issues that are important to them and I was wondering if you could just give a little bit of insight into you know your journey in filmmaking and what it's taken to actually create a production company because I've definitely had conversations with people where they're like okay cool you know, people that worked within the BBC or within other um, media platforms and are frustrated because they can't tell the types of stories that they want to. And I've talked about, okay, how can I set up my own thing? So just from your own experience, what has that been like for you? Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting one because, you know, my, my major break in terms of making films and, and, and the biggest film I made was the first one, um, which was um, on Usain Bolt. Um, it was commissioned by BBC Two. I was a BBC staff member at the time, so it wasn't through my own production company. Um, but it was a situation where I had a relationship with Usain Bolt's family. Um, half my family are Jamaican, so um, they'd always been on, like, oh, why don't you come to Jamaica and just, you know, we can introduce you to him. And I was like, well, it ain't going to work like that. So, um, but then the, the magic of the world. Um, things happened and I ended up in Jamaica and I ended up in a situation where it was possible to start um, a relationship and get to know some of um, of um, his family and management and things things just happened. But 
the reason why I'm using this example is I had the relationship with Usain Bolt. So for me, I had to be really brave internally at the BBC because he was the the hottest thing going into the um, London 2012 Olympics. I had this special relationship and I, and I knew that people would, 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 would have me in the background with a clipboard while other people were doing the work because I was relatively new to, um, to the sports media. So, what I had to do was to to actually say no. I'm I'm going to do this, you know. And um, I co-produced that film with a brilliant filmmaker, black filmmaker called Stephen Lyle, um, who's um, back at the BBC as a, a lead senior executive. Um, and as part of that process of making the film, again, I think it's because of the the, the campaigning blood in me that I kind of you know, started doing things that were very different. I said, look, right, we're going to Jamaica. And they said, yeah, we're going to bring Bob and Gary, you know, to be the camera people. I said, no, 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 I'm choosing the crew because I want an all black crew. And they kind of looked at me like, oh, geez, this guy's a problem. This guy's a real problem. But the things I was saying is I was saying, look, you know, for me, I want to set up a situation where Usain Bolt is completely comfortable um, in the environment so we get the best from him. So we, we actually make the best product. So I had a black cameraman come from the UK. I made a point of employing a black cameraman on the island who I knew had a very good relationship with Usain Bolt. Um, he's the kind of cameraman who can go to places that other cameramen who are coming from international can't. So um, when I came back with the rushes, they said it's the best rushes they've ever seen. It's the best film rushes they've ever seen because he was able to go into the spaces that, British cameramen could not have gone into. Also, on the part of the, the the Jamaican manager, the Jamaican PR person, they had seen that there was an effort to um, find people that Usain Bolt was comfortable with and had a history of working with. So, so all of those things that I did, that I fought for, worked out really, really well for the production of that film. And if you look at that film now, you can feel Jamaica. You can feel it. If anyone's been to Jamaica, you know, you can feel Jamaica. The way that we captured the voices, with the way we captured the country, it wasn't just a load of shots of nice beaches. We wanted to see people. We wanted to see the environment. We wanted you to smell the food. We, you know, all of those things we made a massive, massive effort in doing. And that kind of set me out um, from the rest of the pack in many ways um, as being able to, to deliver. So I got some other opportunities off the back of that. Um, and with the production company, it was just a matter of stepping away from a staff contract and saying, right, okay, well, I'm going to do these things myself. And, you know, the, 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 the company is tiny, tiny, tiny. Um, but in terms of the things that you can do, you can look for co-productions if you need a bigger um, production partner to deliver a, a bigger project. Um, but if you have the ideas and you have a network of brilliant people you can work with, then just go for it, man just go for it and be really confident in everything you're trying to to achieve all those ideas and the pushbacks you get um i was in a fortunate position that i had some power in that you know if i really got annoyed and upset um about what i was being asked to do within the film then i could have walked and that would have had massive implications to the involvement of usain bolt in that film um maybe they wouldn't have wanted to do the film 
if I wasn't involved in it. You know, that was a strong, strong possibility. So it gave me some leverage to be able to push for things um, in the way that we did things. And, you know, I see lots of people who um, become part of a big system and it's really difficult to push back on a system. Like, so I'm not saying this is easy, um, but because it's difficult, they, they stop trying. It's like when you get told no three times, you don't ask the fourth, fifth or sixth time. Mm-hmm. For me, I kept asking, you know, and I was I was lucky, you know, I was lucky that I was working with some some good people that actually trusted me and they were rewarded for trusting me because that film is the only sports documentary, that first one I made, that's been shown on BBC Two, BBC One and BBC Three when it was on linear TV. No other sports documentary has because it's it, it was a fit for all of those audiences. And that's because, like, the power of diversity. I was bringing something. The exec was bringing something. You know, we had a diverse team of men and women working on that show, black and white. And because of that, we kind of hit so many audiences in a different way and it was relevant to them all. And it's one of my proudest pieces of work. Wow. Thank you, man. I think that's for anyone listening. That's just such a great insight into, I guess, that if you've got a story that you want to tell and you've got the connections, even if you don't, just to put the things that you want to just to put your own package together and go out there and seek it and don't push back. I really like what you said there about you told them kind of this is how I want to do it. And this is a crew that I want to take. And I think quite often I know that people might see some opportunity and be like well you know they're making me do it this way so I'm going to have to do it the way that they want it and it doesn't really turn out to be the thing that you wanted you initially set out to start so I really appreciate you for sharing that with us and on that though I just wanted to say like this has been incredible I've been texting the guys during this Leon just saying I'm learning a lot um, and I really have learned so much about the work that you do and what what can be done to challenge things I think one of the things I've heard people suggest before is, is it time that the UK had its own Colin Kaepernick moment and listening to what, what you're saying? Sounds like we're moving in that direction. And I've seen recently, you know, the Michael Holden crying video breaking down and things like that going viral. And I think for young people, particularly watching that, thinking I want to be a sportsman or sportswoman growing up, going back to Kwaku's idea of, now it seems like you're allowed to be not just that, not just that act, like, you know, doing the role of a sportsman, not just the athlete, but I'm allowed to have views. I'm allowed to be a person beyond that, which I think will open up a whole world of new possibilities. Um, anyway, that was just my thoughts to close. Um, I wanted to say thank you for joining us today, Leon. It's been incredible. Um, we've all we've all taken so much from this. Uh, Leon, where could people find you if they want to find out more or have a chat with you? Yeah, I mean, um, generally Twitter um, at Leon underscore man. Um, come and find me there. Instagram, I'm kind of falling around a lot. So if you go there first, don't take me too seriously. <laughs> um, t- t- Twitter is hopefully a bit more serious. Um, come drop drop me a line there. I think my DMs are open. I'll make sure that they are open if they're not. Um, and um, and yeah, if 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 I can help with any kind of advice or connections, I absolutely um, will. You know, I think we we, 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 we we can all rise together. And I think I'm seeing a lot of that at the moment. And um, while there's a lot of real crappy things going on in the world, um, I remain optimistic about 
the positive people I see around me, including you guys. I've been following, you know, your pod for for some time, mm-hmm. so it's it's a real pleasure to be on here and um, keep doing what you guys are doing, man. Thank, keep doing it. Thank you, thank and you, thank you for making the time with us today. Yeah, thank you so much, brother. I guess to all of our listeners, if you want to get in touch with us, you know our socials at OTB Podcast UK. Uh, email at OTB Podcast UK at gmail.com. And it's been great having this conversation. And yeah, have a great day to the rest of our listeners. Over and out.